And I believe this will be the last message in the series. I, I believe there will be a, a new one that I'll start next week. Maybe I think the title will be Crazy Faith. Crazy Faith. We're looking at the end times, and it should be an exciting time for us as Christians. There should be an anticipation in our soul that the Lord is coming back, and he is coming back soon. His first return will be the rapture, and as we have looked at the signs, I believe that could happen at any moment, any day. And today we're going to look at the events that happened right after the rapture, in between that and surrounding his second coming, the events before and right after as time allows. So let me jump into it. Revelation 19 says, now I saw heaven opened. So if you're a visual kind of person, sort of get the sight of this, when this happens, that the skies will split open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Isn't he faithful and true? And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame, a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on him that no one knew except himself. The Lord has quite a few names. And this one is a secret between him and God. Then verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, the blood that cleansed us from all of our sins. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Can you get a visual of that? Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes the sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty, Almighty God, excuse me. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, this is the third name, written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time he came, he was clothed in flesh. The next time he comes, he will be clothed in glory. The first time he came to a dirty manger, the next time he comes, he will be riding a white horse leading the armies of God. The first time he came, he humbled himself to be murdered on the cross. The second time he comes, he will strike down nations with the words of his mouth. The first time he came, they placed a sign on the cross above his head that read, King of the Jews. The next time he comes, he will have his real name on his robe, on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's give him praise, everybody. And we welcome you, Lord. I'm a little excited about it already. The title is The King Returns. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that... You are coming to receive us, to be with you. And even right now, you're preparing a place for us. 
Lord, I believe the time is soon, and you know it well. Lord, prepare our hearts. Let us be ready for the rapture. Lord, let our, our hearts beat with anticipation of your return to get your children. And thank you that one day you will come and we will reign with you on this earth. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Today, speak to us. Church, let's pray. Lord, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We welcome, if you're a first-time guest, thank you for being here today. When Jesus does return, I've heard that a local jewelry store has asked him not to come to their place because they're afraid that he was going to break every chain. <laughs> he will break every chain, won't he? The rapture of the church is uh, the trigger for all the other end-time events. It is the count, as when the rapture takes place, which again, I believe could happen at any moment, the countdown timer is set for the final events that are time that the Bible gives us before we step into eternity. When the timer is set, it will be set for seven years at first, the seven years that until Jesus' second return. And during those seven years, there's two very different experiences that take place. For the believer, there's going to be some wonderful events that take place in heaven. For the non-believer, for those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are going to be some terrible events that take place on this earth. The apocalyptic movies, I believe, are already given a glimpse. It's going to be so much worse than that, but it will take place in reality. And for those who have been raptured, though, we, we begin our new life in heaven. Can you imagine your first day in heaven? had the privilege of attending the funeral for Pastor Eugene Green. And the church, you could not put another person in that church. Some had to leave because there were no parking places at the church. And we talked about, they talked about what it was like for him to step into heaven, to see his reward, the sights, the feelings of relief and thankfulness Feeling love that like we have never felt, not hindered by flesh whatsoever. The reunion with our loved ones that have gone before. Can you imagine heaven? The anticipation of the coming, upcoming events, seeing saints in the Bible, Peter and the Apostle Paul. But then knowing you're going to be able to see Jesus face to face. Let's look at a couple of the events in heaven that take place right after the rapture. The first one is the judgment seat of Christ. If you're taking notes, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians, it talks about, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for the believers. So what will be will we be judged for? Well, it won't be sins. It won't be sins that are put under the blood. Because the Bible is very clear that God not only forgives us, but he chooses to forget about them. Aren't you thankful for that? So what are those things that could be the bad things? Well, we could be judged for spiritual laziness. We see that in one of the parables with the talents. We could be judged for a lack of faith at times. We could be judged for partial obedience, missed opportunities. I, I'm really not sure. One thing that the Bible does teach us that we will be judged for our works and the motive of our hearts for those works. That is very possible that there will be some that done great works for the Lord outwardly, but the motive was wrong, and those works, the Bible tells us, will be burned up. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. It says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. You know, we can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool the Lord no time. <laughs> and at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So wrong motives, what, do, what are some of those? Well, the right motives, let me tell you, first is doing things for the Lord because of our love for him and love for others, our worship to him to bring God's glory. That Those should be the motives of our heart. Some of the wrong motives could be personal gain, that I'll do this to get a position. Could be for attention. I want eyes on me. It could be just pride. At the judgment seat of Christ, it will be exposed. It will be shown for what it is. And the right motives will be rewarded. The wrong motives will be exposed. Somebody's saying, well, I'm just glad I made it. <laughs> it ain't going to matter to me. Well, I don't want to be eating potty meat for eternity. What about you? I want, I want, I want some good rewards because they'll last for eternity. Then that leads us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, proving that Jesus is Southern Supper. It's a supper. And Revelation tells us, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Who's his wife? It's the church. Well, I don't believe I need to be in church. You need to find you a good church. You need to find a good one. There are some good churches available. I can point you to one if you need to. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous, righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So after this time of the judgment seat of Christ where we gain a reward, then it is time to really celebrate our union with Christ. Finally, we have a perfect union with him. No longer will the lure of sin or flesh interfere with that. 
We have an intimacy with him. The bride, the, the church will be united once and for all with Christ for eternity. What a beautiful picture that is. So that's taking place uh, up in heaven after the rapture. And I believe during those seven years, uh, that seven-year time on this earth, let's look at what happens on earth. The first event right after the rapture, the rapture is the trigger for the great tribulation to begin. It's believed to be seven years Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said himself, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen, uh, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. The first three and a half years of that great tribulation will be a time of peace. It will be a time of prosperity on the earth. The world will be united under a one-world government, which is already being talked about now, with a new world leader, which will be the Antichrist. It will be a time of utopia on earth, and I believe they will say, finally, God removed all of those Christians out of the way, those that spoke against sin, those that did not give us the, uh, the total inclusion of love like we wanted now they have been removed and now we can have heaven on earth and they'll be deceived the jewish people many who have rejected christ as their messiah will receive him the antichrist as their messiah the one that they have waited for old testament prophets prophesied about they will receive this false christ this devil as their Christ, he will perform miracles, the scripture says, and deceive many. Second Thessalonians, it says this, when that man of evil comes, it will be the work of Satan. He will come with great power and he will do all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. I won't have time to really delve in because I want to cover so much material today but it's going to be, he's going to be very deceptive. And during that first three and a half years, he's got the world's attention. He will reveal himself at the middle of that time. And it will, after that, will be a time of great destruction. Many of the Jewish people, their eyes will be open that they have been deceived. The Antichrist at that time will have complete economic control and he will institute a system to regulate buying and selling. This is what is known in the scripture as the mark of the beast. Revelation 13 says this, he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now this not will not be just the technology, but what stands behind that technology, the allegiance to the Antichrist. And here is wisdom, the scripture says, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. 
and we're not sure what that's going to look like on the hand. I mean, you know, don't get caught up in trying to see is Trump got six numbers, T-R, I mean, letters, excuse me. No, we don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, I, I personally, the technology is there already. We see that uh, available. I think it, since it says it's going to be on the right hand or the, on the forehead, I believe it's going to be an embedded tattoo, something that's very visible. The chip has already been involved, uh, in, invented, and uh, but I think you can steal the chip, and they'll have to go to something more permanent. So don't don't know what that's going to look like, but it will uh, be something that will control what is bought, who can buy it. And again, the technology is developed. It's, it's amazing. Then the second thing on earth we see that happens, I believe, shortly after the rapture is the two witnesses. The two witnesses. Revelation 11.3 says, And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. That's a little short of three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. Now, these are going to be some bad dudes. I mean, I personally believe they're going to be Enoch and Elijah because there are two that did not face a physical death on this earth. Some would say maybe Moses and Elijah since they appeared on Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. I don't know who they will be. The Bible doesn't tell us but they're going to have the power within themselves. They're going to witness of the Lord. They'll be able to call down judgment themselves. And they will be hated. The world through the Antichrist, through his system, will hate him, and they will be killed. And the scripture says they will lay in the streets for three and a half days. Can you imagine the celebration that, hey, again, there's these two, and we've done away with them. And there will be a feeling that the Antichrist will portray that they have complete control. But the problem is after three and a half days, they come alive. And the scripture says the world will see it. And they will be raptured back up to heaven. Soon afterward, the judgment of God will be poured out. It would be the greatest devastation the world has ever known. And even during this time, man will still refuse to repent, the Scripture says. There will be such hatred toward God, animosity toward God. This sets the stage for the third event on earth called the Battle of Armageddon. Satan will successfully gather the nations to make war against God, and I believe specifically focused on Israel. It is referred to as the battle of Armageddon, and it says in, the, in Revelation 16, and I saw these three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of the God Almighty. And they gathered them together, verse 16 says, to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon is uh, in the, uh, it is 
the modern Megiddo. It's in the valley that is right before Mount Megiddo in Israel. And that's where the armies will assemble. And the army, really the fight is against God. There are symbols there. And Satan's goal has not changed. He still believes that he can overthrow God. How arrogant and prideful is he must be. After all of the defeat, every one of you that's a believer of Christ, you are a sign that he is defeated. You understand that? You are proof that he is defeated. That's the reason why he hates you so much. He hates your children. He hates your godly marriage, even though he cannot do anything about that, can he? But it's a proof to him. It's a message to him. When he says, you'll never make it, you have the right to say, in Christ, you're defeated. You're a witness. You're a testimony to him that God is alive and he is victorious. But he still thinks he can overthrow God, so he's bringing the, this poor fleshly army against the Lord. But the armies of heaven are ready. Not that we have to do anything. If we get a chance to ride back, I'm not sure if we'll get to come back on those white horses or not. But the armies of God says we'll be behind Christ, but they'll be there just for show because out of his mouth, he will bring judgment. So this is where we go back to earth. Heaven comes to earth in the form of Jesus and the entire army of God. Satan's poised to make battle. This battle is a thousand years in the making, thousands of years in the making, excuse me. And the battle of Armageddon brings Jesus back to earth. And this is the second coming. Going back to that opening text, it says, the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And that is his word. He speaks it out of his mouth that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of God Almighty. At that time, Jesus will establish his throne on earth and will reign with him. Now, this is so wonderful. Like I said, I have to be careful of, of time because we can go so many different directions. And I don't want to give you enough information just to confuse you, so I have to be careful. But when Jesus comes back the, the second time, this will be what the Old Testament prophets thought would happen when Jesus came, uh, when, when, when Jesus would come. They thought he would come and he would set up his kingdom on earth. That's the reason they didn't receive him when he came to pay the price for our sins. See, they saw the Messiah, they believe in the Messiah, that Messiah will come and he will rule and reign, and he will at his second coming. But the Bible calls this age of dispensation, this church that we are a part of, they, it, it, it's a mystery, the Bible calls it. The Old Testament saints didn't see Christ coming to pay the price where not only the Jews will be saved, but the Gentiles also. Is I feel the Holy Ghost on that, don't you? And they didn't see us. It, what God had planned was so far beyond what they saw. He will come and he will reign and he will rule, but there is a church that they did not see. There is a people. There is 
uh, multitudes that are not just Jews, but Jewish, uh, but Gentiles also, that are part of the family of God, and that is you and I. And because of God's love for us, we get to be with him in that great city, being a part of his kingdom. So Jesus will establish his throne on earth, and he will reign, and we get to be a part of that. Now, the other three events, I won't have time to go into them much because I want us to really apply this. What is, what is all this information? What should it do for us today, okay? So I want to spend a few moments there. But the three other events that happen after the second coming, the first one is the millennial reign. That is where Satan will be uh, bound for, the Bible says, a thousand years. Isn't that going to be wonderful? No more devil talking in your ear. Of course, we'll be with Jesus, so he will be, we won't have to worry about that anyway. Now, we can go a lot of different ways, and, and I, I, I like to, to imagine uh, anybody that's too sure of what happens at this time, I'm leery of because the scriptures doesn't teach us. But there will be people that I believe will be born during that thousand years uh, flesh and blood, there will be flesh and blood that's left here after the judgment, those that make it, that did not die yet. So there will be a flesh and blood, but then there will be us, supernatural. It's going to be a Marvel movie multiplied many times over. And anything else I would say would be speculation after that. The Bible does tell us, though, that... After the thousand years, the devil will be released for a short time. Now, if God can listen to me, I'm going to put it in the comment box that he just keeps him, you know, bound. Don't let him go. How many of you think that would be a good idea? Just, <laughs> But I believe it's to try those that were born during that thousand years. Because the truth is this. If love doesn't have a choice, is it really love? That we choose. God gives us a will. And our will, we've chosen to serve him. And they'll have to make that choice. But then an angel, the Bible says, will bound him and throw him into the eternal uh, dungeon, if you will. Lake of fire forever. So the millennial reign is going to be a wonderful thousand years for us. It'll be like a day because at this time we're eternal, right? And then after that comes the great white throne judgment. The scripture says this will be where mankind will stand before God. To be completely honest, there's different views. I'm not sure if Christians will stand before God at this point. It will sort of be a useless thing because our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it will be more of a roll call if we do. Aren't you thankful for that? But those that are not, their names are not found, they will be judged. And they will be sentenced to eternal destruction, eternal hell. This great white throne judgment, the, the atheist stands before God. Can you imagine? This is the throne where Revelation says that the earth and the sky have to flee because there's no room for it. This great throne of God. And the 
atheist who has denied him has to stand there knowing he has been deceived. Hitler will stand there to be judged. There's no excuses at the great white throne judgment. There's no, but God, you don't understand. Ah, it's judgment. The person that has rejected Christ will be judged there. I am thankful that you and I don't have to fear that judgment. We really don't. If you are washed by the blood of Jesus, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And should you have to be there, like I said, it will be a celebration because you'll be waiting for your name to be found. You'll know it's there already. The Bible says he'll look at the Lamb's Book of Life and you'll know your name is there. And then after that is the new Jerusalem. Our mind cannot even go there where the Bible says this new Jerusalem, the new heaven will come down on this new earth. It will be refined. And the new city of Jerusalem will come down and settle on this earth. I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm just glad I get to see it. And whether I'm down here watching it come down or up there coming down with it, it's going to be a blast. Y'all just get ready. I'm going to be annoying in heaven, okay? Oh, wow, that's it, that's it. We'll be like the little chihuahua dog that I talk about sometimes. So happy, man. And Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, or the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. See, somebody else is going to be excited too. And look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the last event concerning mankind that I can find in the Bible. This is at the end of the book. And this begins eternity for the redeemed. Eternity. So what do we do? I've given you a lot of information. What do we do with this information? I like the idea of having a timeline myself, but what, how does it profit us? Well, I think putting some prayer on this, I think there's two things that God wants to make sure of for us. God is already building his army now. He is, his spirit is here recruiting us people to be a part of the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be in the army of God? This is what it means. It means to advance the gospel. This is what we have been charged to do. If you imagine a general calling in his troops and say, guys, we got a mission. Ladies, we got a mission. It is to destroy the enemy. And this is the way we do it. We advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news. Good news. 
So we advance the gospel. The second thing that we do since we're a part of God's army is we add souls to heaven. We're still recruiting. We're still, we still have a mission to add souls to heaven, to plunder hell and populate heaven. And then thirdly, we're to take authority over the enemy. We're to walk in our spiritual authority for ourselves and exemplify that to others. You don't have to be bound by that. You don't have to be controlled by that. There is freedom. It is, yeah, let me pray for you. For the body, Jesus said, to cast out devils, to, to go and lay hands on the sick. You don't have to bring them to the preacher. Praise God for that. You, those who believe in my name, shall do these things. So you, if you are a part of the kingdom, these are the things that, that you should be doing, that we should be doing. Advancing the kingdom, adding souls to heaven, and then taking our spiritual authority. And church, this is what, what we really have to work on because our enemy's strategy is to get you and I so bound down with our own lives. If he can get us bound down within ourselves, we're not advancing the kingdom. We're not adding souls. We're just trying to make it through the day. And can I tell you, for every Christian, your life is not just to make it through, if I can just get to heaven. There is so much victory and so much destiny prepared for you, for me, that we should be busy about God's kingdom and doing it victoriously. Amen? There's an anointing to do these things, and it's God's presence within us. I'm so thankful for his presence. As I uh, sit there in that funeral service, I mean, it was so packed. You would just had to experience it. The funeral service for Pastor Eugene, I know him. I, he, was, he, he was our overseer at our church. He was one that would call me about every week, if not every week, every other week. We had times on the phone. And I felt like when he said, I'm praying for you and your church, I felt like he was hitting heaven. And as I heard the stories of drug addicts saying they came in some way, the Lord gave Pastor Eugene a word and, and then the pastors that were there, even in the church, they asked the pastors to stand, and I don't know how many, but there's quite a few, and the effects, and, and he was a willing servant. But what we were, what they were bragging on is the vessel that God used. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that made a difference. And that same anointing is available for every one of us. 
the very same anointing to advance the gospel, to add souls to the kingdom, to take authority over the enemy for your life, for your children's life, for those that you have influence with. The Lord wants to use you in that way. Would you bow your head? We're going to pray. Let's ask ourselves first, is Christ the king in our life? Is he the king? Is he on his throne in my life? Is there anything else that I would actually put before him? Let's make sure we take care of that. Scripture says that Jesus said himself, if we seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is going to be added. Maybe for some of us, we're doing okay with when it comes to the sin part. But then there's the fear that we're actually bowing down to fear when Jesus is our king. You don't have to. For some of us, there's some control and with some addictions, we feel trapped. Many times, you know, it's easier to define, to identify the addictions by what we do, but addictions could be stronghold of the mind. There's a thought pattern that you just constantly go back to. And that's the enemy of your soul. You can have authority over that. Today, let's all put, make sure Jesus is on his throne in our hearts, that we answer to him and him only. Church, let's pray it together. We call it the commitment prayer. If you have sin in your life, pray this prayer. If you know you, that your Jesus is not king in your life, pray this prayer. We'll pray it out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Would you forgive me for all my sins? Would you come into my heart? Would you change my life? And I'll do my best to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, just thank the Lord. Lord, make it real between you and him. Lord, I know I've been bowing down to that. And I, I, you see it as sin. Lord, those things in my life that have dethroned you. And Lord, I thank you today for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray one other prayer before we dismiss this morning. And I believe the Lord wants to anoint us as his children to do the things that I just talked about. An anointing that will help you to advance the kingdom, an anointing to help you add souls to heaven, and a, an anointing to have authority over the enemy in your life so you can be free to take authority over the enemy in someone else's life. 
And if you would like that to happen, would you just stand up in your uh, at your seat? Just stand right up. It's okay that if you don't stand up. But you're saying, I want to be anointed, God. I want your anointing to use me. You're my king, and I want your anointing to use me. I believe it's going to come upon you today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you just lift a hand up straight to heaven? Would you say it out of your mouth? Lord, anoint me. Anoint me. Lord Jesus, you see hands lifted. Lord Jesus, my hand is lifted. Anoint in greater ways. I pray that you would pour the oil of your spirit right now. Let it be such a transformation for many, Lord, for all, that they would actually feel the oil coming over their heads right now. The anointing of the Holy Ghost to help us to, to build your kingdom, Lord Jesus. To help us to add souls to, king, to your kingdom. To have authority over our enemy that's been worrying us, that's been trying to get us bound up within ourselves, Lord God, that we, we take authority, the authority that you gave us. Jesus, you said you gave us authority and we take it now and we thank you for that. And you're going to help us, Lord God. You're going to help us to add souls, advance the gospel, and to take authority in the name of Jesus. Raise another hand if you would and give him praise. Thank him for it. Thank you for it, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it, for anointing us, anointing us. We're available, Lord. Use us the way you would have to use us. Lord, we're listening. We have ears to hear and eyes to see. We want you to use us. No more, no more, no more will we be spiritually lazy. No more, Lord God, will we pander with things that are not godly. Lord, you can use us. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's praise him. You can give him a clap. You can give him a shout. You could do both. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful today we got about 12 or 13 people to be baptized after the second service this morning. And uh, I'm so thankful. Authority. I want, I want that word to really resonate in your spirits this week. I have authority in Christ. Not because I deserve it. Not anything that I can do. It was just being given to me. Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. So exercise your authority this week. Those thoughts, you don't have to put up with that. I rebuke fear. I rebuke worry. I rebuke doubt in the name of Jesus. You take authority, okay? Look, pray for yourself. And when you're feeling sick in body, Lord, I thank you. You can even lay hands on yourself. That's okay, okay? I've done it before. In the name of Jesus, take authority. God is so good to us. So thankful to be on his, in his army. Let's don't get sidetracked with this with everything that's going on in the world. We can look at them and look at it as signs of the gospel and be excited about it. But man, there's an anointing for you. All right, let me dismiss. I, if you raise your hand to receive this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.